Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. Welcome into another edition of Mile High Magazine. And I'm Murphy Houston. Good to see you here today. It's getting to be that time of year. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's tax time. And we have some folks in the house today that are going to help us answer some questions about those taxes. From the Colorado Department of Revenue, the Taxation Division, Senior Director Matthew Scott's with us. Matthew, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you. How'd you have time for me today? I mean, <laughs> uh, well, we, we squeezed you in. So. <laughs> my, my goodness, I, I appreciate that. So let's get right to it. What's new with taxes this year? Right away, because that's what I'm always concerned with, especially with some of the taxes that have been changed. What should we be aware of? You know, th- there's a lot of changes that are going on. Everyone's very aware of the federal uh, changes that happen. From a state of Colorado perspective, there's there's not a whole lot of difference there for us. Uh, Colorado starts with uh, uh, with federal taxable income. So by the time those federal changes take place, that's our starting point. Oh, that is, right? Yeah. And But the filing date's the same time. What is it, the 17th this it, year? It is the 17th this year. Uh, we have to accommodate Emancipation Day that is celebrated in Washington, D.C. That falls on the 16th. So we, all the states accommodate that and move the, the tax filing date to the 17th. Unless you need an extension. Correct. How soon do you have to file for an extension if you require it? As extensions are automatic. Uh, you do have to make sure that you have paid all your taxes due. Okay. Uh, but the extension is, is uh, uh, the extension date is October 15th. Uh, okay. And you don't have to file for that as long as you have paid all of your taxes. So why would you file for that if you paid your taxes? Well, it, it gives you more time to get your paperwork together to fill out your forms properly. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, some of these people, why do they continually get your paperwork to you late? What, what is with these? They know like we do when it's mm-hmm. due. But, you know, these K-1s come in late or whatever form it might be. There are requirements for, for the, a lot of those organizations to get documents to you. Uh, oftentimes they will they will file those uh, to meet those deadlines, but then they'll send out uh, corrected returns uh, after they get all their books and records in order. I guess that's what it takes, and that's why you need the extension. I yes. guess now that I think about it, I've probably done that myself. Mm-hmm. But I don't trust myself. Do a lot of people fill out their own taxes, or do they go to somebody that's really smart? Uh, we get combinations of everything from people doing their own to hiring CPAs or others to to do their taxes for them. Yeah. I would think that would be like, what do they say? Don't be your own lawyer. What yeah. you know? Why would you be your own tax person? I know I'd mess that up. Well, we highly recommend you get a, a strong <laughs> tax advice to fill yes. out your your forms. Yes. So nothing new for the filing season. We should be concerned with for uh, this year. Uh, n- n- nothing significant. There, there's a few new things uh, for for very specific purposes that are out there. Such as, can um, we talk about some of that, or is that just so small of individual tax thing? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I have my my list of some things here. First time home buyer uh, savings account subtraction. So if you are a first time home buyer, you have the possibility to uh, deduct uh, the the um, interest earnings that you that you make on that on that savings account. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, some other things, yeah, really, that's about it. That's really, that's really the significant one from a, from a Colorado perspective. Well, yes. pretty simple. Simpler, yeah. the better is yeah. the way I look at it. Can we talk about, uh, consumer use tax? Yes. I saw that on your media guide. Yes. What, what is that? Consumer use tax has been around for a long, long time. Not a people, not a lot of people understand what that is. Or, or hello, yeah. my hands up. So, so what what that means in simple terms is, uh, if you live in Colorado and you purchase tangible personal properties, what we call it, you, you purchase things. Right. Uh, you pay sales tax on those. Okay. If you purchase one of those items from an out of state vendor who does not have a physical presence in the state of Colorado they're not required to collect sales tax on those purchases. However, the purchaser, the consumer, is required to pay an equivalent use tax on those items. So people, a wow. lot of people are under the misconception that just because they purchase from an internet vendor who says we don't charge sales tax, that there is no tax due on that. There actually is a tax due on, on those items. Well, let's be honest, Matthew. How many people 
step up and say, I, hey, I owe money the, here. The, the, the compliance on that is much less than, <laughs> than the uh, sales tax that's collected. And, and, and that's a lot of uh, the, the rules that are going into place in many states now that require, uh, Colorado has a rule, requires vendors to notify uh, their, their customers that there may be use tax due if they're not collecting them. Well, I do see that more and more. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the inline buying or online buying became so popular, nobody seemed mm-hmm. to charge. But now, how about Amazon, the big guys? Do, do they charge now? I think they're so huge, they probably have to. Amazon themselves is charging sales tax in, in all 45 states that have a sales tax. Now there are Amazon uh, fulfillment by Amazon vendors. So so they're they're they use Amazon's marketplace, but they're the vendors themselves are not... Amazon, they're not the, under the oh, ownership. Oh, of I Amazon. see what you're saying. So, it so is. those vendors again can elect to charge sales tax, or they can elect to not charge sales tax. But on a good note, if you are buying and you're not paying, you should be honest about it. Now, yes. how do I file? How do I pay that? There is a a consumer use sales tax form that you can file independently, or you can it, it can be incorporated into your annual uh, income tax form. Uh, to file at the same, the taxes due the same time. Uh, this year will be uh, April seventeenth. So you just go to your tax person mm-hmm. if that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I bought this online. Here's the cost. What do I owe? Yes, that's it. So like a receipt or whatever. Yep. You have to you have to know the total of the purchases that you made that you didn't pay sales tax on, and then we can calculate the amount due. Wow, I hope there's a lot of honest people out there doing that. That's tough. I mean, have you ever really caught anybody not paying that tax if they bought a lot of, I mean, a lot of stuff online? Well, again, with Colorado's new reporting rules that went into place July 1st of, of last year, uh, we we get reports from all vendors uh, with the totals of the amount purchased. Uh-huh. We, we do not want to know what was purchased, but they said that they'll give us totals of what the consumers purchased. We can then match that to our sales tax records, uh, our, our use tax records. And if if we don't see where a record uh, where a consumer has paid use tax, you may get a notice from us. Wow. I bet people don't even know that. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, yes. Get that little surprise in the mail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hello, you mm-hmm. owe us some more money. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy. So let's talk about this is the one thing I get nervous about. Unfortunately, I've got a good CPA and I've gone to him for years and he's taken good care of me. But what are some of the common errors you find these days? The, the most common ones are, are the easiest ones to fix. It, it's it's uh, uh, spelling something wrong in, in your name or your address. It, it's putting something on the wrong line on your tax form. Uh, looking for those common errors is what usually trips people up. Really, the easy things. The, the easier things. No major errors to avoid or do you see happen on a large we, scale. The, the the best thing you can do is when, when you've completed your taxes is just with a critical eye, look through that form for those common errors. Um, you make sure that you put everything on the right line in the tax form. That I think would be a big one. Yeah, that you didn't transpose your numbers. Uh, they're oh. mathematical errors. You know, and the easiest way to avoid that is to use a lot of the online, either either our uh, revenue online, which is our website, uh, the state of Colorado has, or any tax preparer software will prevent most of the mathematical errors that we see on, on paper forms. So that software is pretty accurate. Yeah, it, it usually is, yes. And you talk about online. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit before we move mm-hmm. on about the website. Um, mm-hmm. We'll mention it a few times. Mm-hmm. Where do they go for this kind of help? Uh, Colorado.gov slash tax is where you should start. Um, all of our uh, information is there. To, you can look up. Uh, the, we have topics listed there. We have new information. Um, and we have a, a link to our online tax filing, which is uh, Colorado.gov slash revenue online. You offer uh, like a human being there that will answer the phone and a- answer questions? Is, is that Part of the state's responsibility. We have a call center that is uh-huh. is is different than the the website, but uh, but if you can't find the information you're looking for on the website, there is a call center available that you can call and ask for some assistance. Now, would that be a place to go? Not necessarily the call center, but to these websites mm-hmm. to find out about my refund? Because I'm sure people once they file it, it should be in the mail the next day, right? My money, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, it, it's not quite that easy. That we do have a uh, "Where's my refund?" Uh, uh, option. On, on our website, so you can go there. You have to have some information. Um, the, 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 you 
have to have the, the amount of your refund and, and some basic information like your name, social security number. If you get all that correctly, you, sh- you should be able to find out where your refund is. Commonly, what's the length of time for a refund to come back? Uh, we, we, we do our best. This is obviously a very heavy time. Um, it, it can take anywhere uh, from uh, a couple of weeks uh, if, everything, if we don't find any problems or issues to a much longer than that. I'm not going to put a, a cap on that because we have to follow up with customers. If we find mathematical errors, if we find other things in the in the return that requires our interaction with the taxpayer. And that all takes a lot of time, it, I would imagine. It, it does, um, because a lot of the uh, fraud prevention, and we don't want people thinking that they're, they're getting contacted by fraudsters, a lot of our communication is by paper. Uh, so we'll mail these inquiries out to taxpayers, and that itself can take some time. Oh, absolutely, it does. But you bring up a good topic here, Matthew. Let's talk about that fraud mm-hmm. status. I know that mm-hmm. can be a big issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So what is what is refund fraud, and why is it a problem? Well, a, a, a misconception is on refund fraud is people think that, that someone has stolen the, their tax information. And actually, refund fraud happens prior to them submitting the, the tax. It, it's, it's someone has identity theft take place. They've, they've, they've some, the, the fraudsters have somehow come across social security numbers, names, dates of birth, other information, that the fraudsters then take that information and submit a, a request for a tax refund using fictitious information. Yeah. Numbers. So their hope is we will distribute that refund to the fraudster uh, prior to the real taxpayer filing the return. And that way they get the, the fraudsters get their money and the taxpayer is, is stuck. Oh man. A lot of that going on. Yeah. We've made significant strides Uh, in the last several years. The combination of the IRS and all the States working together have significantly reduced the amount of refund fraud going on. It's a scary thing. It, It still happens though. So what do we do as the taxpayer to help prevent that? Uh, the, the best thing that you can do is, is, is again, be aware. Um, make sure that you file your taxes timely and, and, and with the correct information. If you should uh, get a letter from us uh, or a check you were not expecting, a refund check you were not expecting from us, uh, you should call us immediately. That's the first indication that something's not quite right there. Well, it's just like all the other situations that are involved with fraud. Mm-hmm. Identity theft is just so huge. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere, right? It is. Even yes. with the tax department. Yeah. So so we will send letters to, on some suspected fraud cases. We'll send letters out trying to verify information. Um, th- that That's the really the, your first big clue. If we send you a letter asking for information and you haven't filed your taxes yet, uh, that's a good clue that someone else has tried to file your taxes on your behalf. Wow. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Now... You don't call, though. You send a letter out. Yes. Because I've heard instances where mm-hmm. people have called and said, mm-hmm. hey, we're from the state of Colorado mm-hmm. or whatever state. And listen, I think there's mm-hmm. a fraud situation. Can you help us clear it up? And then they trick them into giving information that way. You really need to be diligent. Uh, we make very few outbound phone calls. Uh, I, I won't say we don't make any, um, b- but we would never ask for payment information. We'd never ask for a credit card or send us money to this address. Um, we, we do do a few collection calls, but again, we never ask for credit card information during those types of things. Almost all of our communication is via paper. And is that the same with the IRS too, the, the I, national guys? I believe it is. That yeah. they would never call you, because I've heard that as well, but is that true? Yeah, I won't say they will never call you. They will certainly never call and ask for uh, for confidential or, or information from you that, that they don't already have, or, and they would never ask for any credit card or other payment type information. So how do you check things? I, I know you can get a check, have a check come in the mail, but you can also have direct deposit. Is that right? So you should be watching that as well, or is there a different fraud situation with that? We, we get a lot of people that we will convert their request for direct deposit into a paper check, and again, that's a fraud prevention measure. If we, we have a lot of things we look for, which which we won't go into details on. Sure. Uh, but w- if we detect or suspect that there may be fraud happening, we might convert a direct deposit request into a paper check and then mail that to the address of record. Uh, that's, again, an indication. If you get a check in the mail and you weren't expecting one, 
you should call us. Yeah. I was just going to ask that. If you're thinking you're going to get a direct deposit and go, here comes a check in the mail, that I'd be a little yes. nervous about that. But, but it, yes, that's true. But if that does happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that fraud has taken place. Um, you, if you get a check in the mail for the amount that you were expecting and you did file your taxes for that amount, that's okay. Cash that check. That, okay. That, that's good. If you get a check in the mail and you haven't filed your taxes yet, or that check is a substantially different amount than you were suspecting, you were expecting. Right. Uh, I would call us and, and, and work through that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, what happens if you cash the check and all of a sudden something happens and it gets into your direct deposit? Now, you just take that money out and pay you back, I guess, right? It, Has that ever happened, even? I, I don't know that it's happened that we do both a check and direct deposit. We'll convert one to the other, uh, but but we would never do to send both. Sounds good. Well, we have with us Matthew Scott, who's with the Colorado Department of Revenue, the Taxation Division Senior Director. How long have you been working over there, Matthew? I've been with the state for about a year and a half now. Oh, yeah. That's got to be a crazy job, though, working with the taxes. It is. It's very fun. So you don't have to answer the day-to-day questions, so the people must have so many. Like, is it better to e-file or mail, or what's the better system? Uh, Electronic is the way to go today. Really, because of a lot of the uh, the way the forms are completed online, a lot of the mathematical errors go away. So we, we highly recommend e- electronic submission. Is it quicker on the return? Uh, yes, it is. because If we get it into our systems uh, quicker and, and we can check that information, all, you know, as with anybody today, all this is done through programming and we, and we, we are running through these things programmatically to, to detect if there are any errors. It all happens much, much faster if, it, if we receive it in, a, in, in in an electronic format. Well, and it seems like the smart thing to do. If you're there getting your taxes done and you just e-file, I mean, the, it's off your back. It is. And, and there are free ways to do this. Okay. I'll, I'll, you know, some, some software packages charge a fee. Uh, again, you can go to our, our website at colorado.gov slash revenue online and file your state taxes for free. Online? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Do you have, because I'm kind of simplistic. Mm-hmm. If I've had my taxes done somewhere else and I, I got the finished paperwork, I can't if, e-file then. If you it? have your finished paperwork, you can actually log into our Revenue Online service and and literally type the information from your paper form into our online system and submit your form that way. Who knew? I mean, that's a great service. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That e-filing thing, I, I do believe in that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the best way mm-hmm. to go. So what steps can I take to ensure efficient processing of my return? I know we talked about mm-hmm. right spaces and all that. Is there something more that we can do to make sure we're okay? Uh, pay attention to, to, and there's lots of information in our instruction forms. If you do submit it by paper, there are different addresses based on whether you're sending a payment or whether you're not sending a payment. Uh, if you're doing this electronically, all of that's taken care of uh, for you. So, uh, I, I, again, pay attention to the, our, our instructions. We try to make them as, as simple as we can. As with some tax matters, they can get a little complicated, but the general filing instructions are fairly simple. Well, basically, it's to take your time. And it don't is. rush through the job and then double-check It is your homework like you used to do when you were probably younger. Mm-hmm. So what about the taxpayer information? Obviously, it's very confidential. Is there worried about hack? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I a protected as a citizen? We, we are hyper-vigilant about uh, confidential taxpayer information. Uh, we've been very fortunate and we've never had a breach uh, in, in our, our systems, um, and we take that very seriously. So if, if, if you're calling us and you want to discuss something on your account, we will go through some, as, as many other financial institutions, we make sure we're talking to the taxpayer so that we have a lot of questions to ask to verify your identity before we'll, we'll discuss your account-specific things with you. So we, uh, we make sure that we keep your information confidential for those purposes. And you don't share that information with, I think, especially seniors, I think, get suspicious of everything because they're such victims of scams. They feel like, oh, I'm not going to give them information. How do I know it's protected? We have very strict uh, statutes uh, here in, in Colorado that prevents us from sharing taxpayer information for anything other than tax administration purposes. So we will not share your tax information with, with anybody. Well, that's a good thing to know. That, that's for mm-hmm. sure. And let's talk a little bit about more help with the Colorado taxes. I mean, we talked about the websites, which I think we should share again, because mm-hmm. there's people right mm-hmm. now that are in the heat of battle yep. with taxes. And let's give that out one more time. Colorado.gov tax. 
And you can also get live assistance. Yes. That's confirmed. Yes. And is there a special area uh, for just seniors or is there an area just for just everybody? That, that If you go to colorado.gov slash tax, that's our general taxation website. And there we have many topics that are in there. So whether it's a, a child tax, child care tax credits or senior information, uh, the, the, we have all of those information uh, buck, uh, broken out by, by topic. And none of that's going to change from the years prior here in the state of Colorado. Any of those topics are pretty much the same. Well, a lot of them are the same. We're constantly updating that. The, we, we do have new new things that come about every, uh, periodically, and we make sure that, uh, that, that 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 information is kept up to date. Are there any other resources out there besides your websites that people might go to to get the help they need, books or other people to talk to? Uh, there, there's, there's a tremendous amount of tax preparers out there. So we work closely with the Colorado Society of CPAs, uh, and others is, is a good resource to go to. Uh, if you're looking for tax advice, they can help you with those things. We provide a lot of, uh, of our forms and booklets to libraries and places like that if you just want to go research some of that stuff on your own. So th- there's lots of resources of, out there. So it's pretty much available anywhere. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. Makes your life a little easier out there as you start doing your taxes. Mm-hmm. So are there any other problems that we can foresee in, in, as far as taxes. I don't know why people get so nervous about paying taxes. It's almost like you're the dentist, mm-hmm. the, the, the tax people. No offense, but it's, it's kind of that way. They shouldn't be afraid. Not, none taken. It, 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 I'll say that if you're, if you're doing a good faith effort in, in filing your taxes uh, the right way, even if you do make a mistake, we will work with you to get that corrected. So we're, we're not here seeking how I can... <laughs> issue the most penalties that are out there. That is not our goal. So our goal is compliance with the with the current Colorado tax laws. That's just pretty simple. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about that. I mean, why, why are people so nervous about working with tax people? I mean, you probably get that a lot. They are. Um, you know, nobody likes to pay taxes to begin with. They all want to minimize the, the, their liabilities there. Uh, and there, and I'm sure everyone has heard a horror story somewhere along the oh, line you bet. about somebody who did something uh, incorrect, and 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 it, it, and it was very difficult for them to get out of that situation. The reality is, my my recommendation is, uh, work with us. If you get a letter from us, if we're inquiring something, it doesn't mean that something's wrong. It's mean we're asking a question. We don't understand something. We need a little bit more clarification. Uh, one of the biggest misconceptions I, I hear from people that ask me personally that, that, that know that I do this is, is I got this thing and I didn't think the letter was right, so I didn't call back. I said, that's probably the worst thing to do. <laughs> yeah, just Ignoring call. not good. They, 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 I said, well, I, I, you know, my interpretation of what the letter said, I thought I was right, so I don't think I have to respond to that. And, and again, we're going we're gonna to keep asking the question. We're not going to let it go until you tell us why we have something wrong. Or, right. Or, Right. what the situation is. So return the phone calls, return, uh, you know, answer the letters that we may send. Uh, work with us. We're, we're here to work with you. We're not here to penalize you. We, we, we want to get it right. Are there any situations or social area in the state of Colorado where I wouldn't have to pay taxes? Because I hear people say, well, I'm whatever. I don't have to pay taxes. Is that true? Anybody? There are certain uh, situations where you may have to pay uh, fewer taxes than others. I'll give you an example. My, my, my children are, are young. They live at home, but they work outside the house. They don't really earn enough money on their own to to uh, have a lot of with, withdrawals. And most, right. most of the state taxes that they pay, because they're below the income thresholds, uh, they get back. Um, now, I won't say they don't pay any tax. They, they probably pay some. Uh, but, but again, every every situation is unique. I don't know of anybody that is blanketly exempt from paying taxes. Well, is there a money level, like the poverty level, where if you're below that, you don't pay taxes? There are certain thresholds that you have to meet to 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 uh, to pay taxes on on things, and right. that can vary by situation. And one question I've always had that I always get mystified by, even my HR person doesn't know, how many deductibles can you claim? Dependents, can you mm-hmm. claim? How many? Is there a limit? I, I'm not even certain. We we, we uh, go off the federal returns for, for those things, and it, I'm not certain that there's a limit, but there there are guidelines as to what, 
what they recommend you take based on your dependence and whether you're over 65, there's, whether you're blind, there are other conditions that, that, that determine what those exemptions should be. And the more dependents you claim, supposedly mm-hmm. you pay fewer taxes. That's they take true. less money away from you. That is one thing that's changing on the federal side is they're they're removing some of the uh, deductions or exemptions there. So uh, you, you need to make sure you understand how that may impact you. Do you get a lot of questions about the federal tax changes? We do. Um, and again, because Colorado starts with federal taxable income, which is after the majority of those things have taken place, uh, we really don't have a lot of advice there other than make sure you understand what's going on in your federal return before you start your Colorado. There's a, there are changes, though, that, oh, yes, that are in effect immediately. Um, most of the changes are effective for, for the 2018 tax year, which right. will be due next year, uh, next January. So, but, but, but they could have some impacts. The, the standard deduction is going up. But they're going to eliminate, uh, for example, state and local taxes. You're limited to ten thousand dollars that you can deduct. Um, and there wasn't wasn't there something also with your housing, the interest you can write off, or your something like that. There, 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 there. I think there was a change on the uh, um, the amount of interest you can write off for uh, home equity loans and, and, and second mortgages. So before we wrap up here, I don't know. I'm asking these questions now that have been popping in my head. Mm-hmm. What is the one singular biggest mistake you think Coloradans make when filing their state tax that you see time and time again? I'm not even certain I can put my finger on that. I I would say the the one that happens over and over again that is the easiest to fix is you entered a number on the wrong line. You you did something that's very simple to fix because you, you didn't look through that return one more time before you sent it to us. That's the one you mentioned earlier, but yeah. I thought maybe there might be yeah. something I'm missing. No. You know, that just have to be careful when you're doing you do. you know, what you're doing. And do you guys do audits? Does the state of Colorado audit taxpayers? We do. And what's the criteria for that? Like you haven't filed ever or something like that? If you're a non-filer, we have, we have ways to, to try to determine that you're a non-filer. Most of the audits uh, on the consumer side, we, we call it our discovery section, and and it's a lot of matching information. So your your employer uh, sends W two information, which right. tells us the wage right. withholdings that they've made. We we check that against your return to make sure that those are in sync, that you're reporting the same numbers there. We do a lot of very similar things with a lot of the federal information. We do share information with the federal IRS government uh, to make sure that the the reporting is consistent. Needs to be done. How many people work for you down there? Uh, in the taxation division, there are 425 people. Uh, that, is that full-time employment or just seasonal type uh, stuff? It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it, there's some part-time people in there, yes. Well, there's a lot to do down there, and you keep up uh, all the good work for the, the state of Colorado. Yep. We need those tax dollars. Are we like the highest tax state in the union? Can you answer that question? No, no we're not. Um, we are... Because not not for income tax, but for sales tax purposes, we are, I will say, one of the more complicated states in the nation. We have a lot of different tax jurisdictions, and home rule jurisdictions uh, uh, play a factor in that. Really? What does that mean? Uh, It means the home rule jurisdictions are are some of the larger cities, Denver, Colorado Springs. They're allowed to set their own tax policy and procedures. They do not have to follow the state. for their local taxes. So because of that, um, you you pay a state sales tax, but you also may have a city or, or local jurisdiction tax. They can choose to follow uh, what what most, what we call the statutory cities, where Colorado collects that, um, or they can choose to come up with their own schemes. So it's separate returns. It's oh, separate my collection goodness. Processes. I bet half of Coloradans don't even know that. That's mm-hmm. That's complicated. It is. More work for you guys. It is. Well, better you than me, Matthew. <laughs> Nothing, no offense. So one more time before we wrap up, we got about a minute here. Let's just go through where people can go for information mm-hmm. because they listen periodically. Mm-hmm. Websites and also maybe where we can find this media guide. That's open to the public. That's a great, great tool to have. Our website is colorado.gov slash tax. Um, if our, our call center, if you want to call in and, and try to get assistance there, that is 303 238 7378. 
Um, the media guide is, I'm, I believe that's on our, our okay. uh, Colorado.gov slash tax. Um, it, it's all there. It's all there. Your website, because I did a little homework before mm-hmm. you and I sat down, is very thorough, yep. very complete. I mean, it really answers a lot of questions where you can feel good about what's going on. It, it's certainly a great place to go to, to start if you have a question. Yes. Matthew Scott, who's the uh, Senior Director of the Taxation Division, the Colorado Department of Revenue, thank you so much for coming in today, and happy tax season. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Another edition of Mile High Magazine, and we will be talking to you next week here on your favorite station. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. Each day in America, at least 60 men and 31 women die from the use of opioids. Opioids are the category of drugs that incorporates prescription painkillers as Vicodin, Percocet, and Oxycontin, along with heroin, are all derived from the opium poppy. Then add to this a wave of synthetic opioids such as carfinel and fentanyl, and you can ascertain why fatalities are skyrocketing. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Among women, deaths from prescription pain reliever overdoses increased 400% between 2000 and 2010, compared to 237% among men. Deaths among women from overdosing heroin has more than tripled the last few years. As women tend to have more incidents of chronic pain, they are prescribed prescription pain relievers more often and given higher doses for longer periods of time. This can lead to women becoming more dependent on pain relievers faster than men, and thus the relievers have been cited by many as a gateway to heroin use. A resource where women can receive assistance and support to become sober again is through Mile High Behavioral Health Care. Joining us on this edition from Mile High are clinician Lauren Brown, Cindy, a former client and now a longtime volunteer, and community impact liaison James Gillespie. Mile High Behavioral Health Care specializes in substance abuse and mental health services. And uh, the reality is that, yeah, there is an overwhelmingly large amount of uh, folks that are addicted to substances. Um, To be able to keep doing this work, we really have to hang our hat on the successes. And there are many successes, and we have to celebrate those successes. Yeah. Uh, But the reality is that there are so many people that need help, and the resources just aren't there for them. And uh, as a matter of fact, and very unfortunately, uh, just in the since 2006, there's been a 500% increase in the number of deaths due to heroin right here in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, and so we are there uh, for our clients to provide a place of non-judgment. I think it's a, a very uh, important um, atmosphere to set and say, hey, we, we see you where you are. We're not trying to make you look like this, this, or this. Uh, but- uh, are you willing to come and work with us and walk walk beside us? And are you willing to engage in treatment? Um, and I think one of the ways that we do it that's different from other places is, you know, people walk in and we, we don't go, hey, what's your social security number? It's like, hey, what's your name? Yeah. Uh, you know, we give them a gift bag. We sit down. We, we So we give them an orientation. So it really is supposed to be about reconnecting with the person because uh, that person's probably lonely and ha- doesn't have a lot of personal connection. If they had that personal connection, that relationship in place, these other folks would, would be there to help provide support in their time of need. But in reality, a lot of folks feel isolated and become more isolated because of their addiction. So we're there to be their extended family. So what happens when you have to turn somebody away? It's very rare that we have to turn somebody away because we— You only have so many beds. Yeah. Uh, so so much space. Mm-hmm. All right. So much food, so much yeah. everything. So at the Comitus Shelter— we have 139 beds, so there are times where we have to turn people away, and it's difficult. What we try to do in every one of those instances is to provide a referral to another agency so you're just not turning away off into the night without any resources, and we can also provide the bus bus passes to get them to that place. Uh, as far as our treatment services, uh, we, we really don't turn people away unless they are genuinely noncompliant. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just not willing to work a process that does work. And then in that case, we do have to turn people away very rarely because, you know, that's why they're there. They've been turned away by so many other people. Where else is she going to go? Where else is she going to go? And so uh, that term fall off the wagon, it's a horrible term, but the reality is it's a part of recovery. 
So we will catch you and you will fall less and less and less over a period of time. And eventually you will be able to be strong enough within your own means and within your own supports to maintain your recovery. The rural areas of Colorado, are, are you finding that they have the support services out there they need like yours or do you invite them to uh, come in too? Uh, rural areas do not have a good level of support. As a matter of fact, the most heroin deaths per capita occur in south in the southeastern corner of Colorado. In the southeastern corner? In the southeastern corner of Colorado. I thought the Colorado. only thing that's down there is uh, Bent's Fort. Well, I mean, there is a town down there too. But. And unfortunately, opioids as well. So this comes out of the uh, Department of Colorado Department of Human Services that uh, the, the two um, most – uh, the most heroin deaths per capita occurring in Colorado are on the southeast corner as well as in uh, Denver Metro. How do they even get it down there in that corner? You know, the, Denver's a crossroads. You know, you got interstate highways coming through, but, you know, that's not the easiest road going down US 50 <laughs> down there in that corner. That's amazing. I know, I know you're not a law enforcement officer, so you don't know how that rolls, but it seems as if that would be the last place, that and up northwest in Craig. <laughs> I would think the last two places you would find the scenario that you just talked about. Well, that's the thing about addiction. Addiction has um, no geog- geographical boundary. I mean, that's just the reality of addiction. It's, it's, it's not something occurring necessarily externally. It's inc- uh, occurring internally as well. So uh, unfortunately, that is the case. Same thing with heroin addiction and how... It used to be thought of as a, a, a drug for the, the poor or the working class, and that's yeah. not true at all. Heroin is, is touching every class in, in our society here in Colorado, from the upper uppermost class to lower lowermost class. It, heroin is, is not a differentiator of persons and nor is addiction, so it really is touching everyone in Colorado. Lauren Brown is a clinician with the Mile High Behavioral Health Care. Uh, James just indicated that um, it's addiction. And he spoke a lot about heroin. Now, opioids go beyond that, too. Are people being also addicted more on things outside of heroin as well? And, uh, and if they are, what's leading them to stay with it? Maybe it starts as a painkiller for, for an operation or something, and then they keep going and going and going. What are they saying to you? As to how come I'm staying with this because I like it or I don't like it or I can't get off of it? That's a really good question, and I think it varies from individual to individual. But the thing I hear mostly is starts from the beginning as a prescription, something they needed for um, managing pain, managing a difficult time in their life. And then it became something that helped them. They felt really good with it. It felt really good, and it helped them manage their life in a different way that maybe they hadn't experienced previously. And it sometimes gets to a point where addiction is very insidious. It doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes it takes time, and it's all of a sudden you realize this thing has a lot of control over your life. You're saying it creeps on them, mm-hmm. like they, you know, like uh, they eat a little bit of some some good food, and they want some more. Then they want some more. They want some more. And then you gain like 20 pounds all of a sudden, and you're like, oh man. But sometimes addiction. When I hear these stories, I hear these stories of when I got this prescription, I never knew I would end up here. I never knew I was going to end up in jail. I never knew I would end up moving to heroin and putting a needle in my arm. It was something that they had no plan when they started that that was going to be what their future looked like. Did you find anyone who started with uh, with some maybe a, a, a legal prescription for painkillers then moving on to something that's bigger and stronger and uh, because their bodies have gotten accustomed to it and want it more? Not necessarily because it's bigger and stronger, but more affordable. Where heroin as a street drug is more affordable than Dilaudid or morphine. What? Heroin is more affordable (laughs) Mm -hmm. than the other ones? Really? getting prescription drugs, yeah. And so for many of them, it becomes more affordable. They can't afford getting their prescription drugs anymore, whether it's from a doctor has stopped prescribing it, they can't doctor hop anymore, or the person they were getting it from, they can't afford it, and so then they move to heroin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't think about that part of it being more affordable, so therefore it's more accessible. Exactly. Ah, that mm-hmm. is it. Uh, Cindy is with us as well. Cindy, you're a volunteer there with Mile High Behavioral Health, and I, and, and I guess you, you have some uh, 
uh, you've, you've had a personal connection with, with that. But to some of the ladies that you talk to and you're helping counsel and, and share with and give them support, what is the number one support thing that they are saying that they need to try to change their lives to, um, to become unhooked or to move forward to, so that they're not uh, continually caught in this cycle? Well, I would say to continue, um, start doing something different, find a, an activity that you like, mm-hmm. and um, so so are, are are you saying that one of the one of the key one of the key strengths that they have to have they have to find within themselves how they see themselves? Yes, sir. Who they are? Yes. And is is that the biggest fight they have then? Well, sometimes they um, fall, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest for me. And when they fall, that's when you have to give them the most support, right? Yes. What do you say to them? Um, I just tell them to stay strong, and I tell them they can do it. Do Do you use yourself as an example of a person that, that has done it? Yes, I do. Are the reasons to, uh, to support that? Um, older women may need, is it different than for teenage ladies and younger adults? Um, basically, in sewing class, they are they range mm-hmm. from young to old. It ranges from young to old, but do maybe uh, more mature ladies with families want to, uh, maybe they need more support because they want to get their kids back, whereas a, a, a young lady doesn't want to be known as an addict and so trying to talk to them differently that's that's got to be a a difficult thing for you to do because you got to figure out really where they're coming from exactly lauren are you finding the same thing with men that uh, trying to uh, their reasons for staying uh i guess no other word to use their reasons for staying hooked or connected is about the same or the the internal compass there that they need is is it similar because we have more women involved with opioids than we have men right the men i've spoken with in some of my groups i've heard similar similar stories similar stories of it kind of sneaking up on them similar stories of um it growing over time those yeah. are similar stories i've heard across many individuals that i've worked with it's a it's a dialogue of it started out this one small thing that was manageable, uh-huh. and over time it became very unmanageable. And a big part of therapy is kind of going back and assessing when did it become unmanageable and how do we kind of pull that apart and become, make it manageable again to a place where we can gain some sobriety or even harm reduction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever ask them straight up, what's it going to take for you to change? I don't think I use quite those words sometimes, but kind of looking at them and, and just really asking what they want. How can I help you? And what do they say? I think everyone who sat in my chair has said they wanted to change, but never really known exactly what the barrier how, is. Yeah, how to do it, or if they can. Or if they lot, can. Yeah, there's a lot of shame and a lot of stigma attached to addiction. A big part of recovery is being okay with the setbacks and not letting that additional shame keep you down. Mm-hmm. When a, a lot of it is seen as a moral thing, you're not working hard enough, you're not trying hard enough, you don't want it hard enough. And that's something that we have to really fight in sessions and talk about. Like, we see how hard you want this. I see how hard you want this. Let's try a different strategy. And it's not because you're not trying hard. It's just because this particular strategy may not be working for you. Yeah, Cindy, are you, when you talk to the other clients and they're needing support and they're they're saying that too, that's got to be a real uh, barrier for you to speak to when they're feeling shame. Yeah. Shame is a simple five-letter word, but it's got to be like a pyramid to... uh, yeah, it to is. To negotiate. It is. Yeah. So so what how do you uh what do you tell them to do for a first step in in giving them support to overcome something like shame? Confidence. Mm-hmm. Give them a lot of confidence and um try to let make them uh learn how to be strong mm-hmm. and learn how to say no. Yeah. They must feel a lot of shame that their families are going to find out? Yes. And that's got to be probably the hardest barrier for you to even speak to? Some of the clients' parents um, disown them, and so I try to help them out and be their friend. And being their friend, you have to tell them that there is a tomorrow. Exactly. And a tomorrow with a sunrise. And it gets easier and easier. 
that that's got to be when you're talking to person after person. That's got to wear on you after a while. Yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah, it does. And and do you get to talk to uh, men as well as the ladies? Or are you pretty no, much vo- vo- volunteering with the ladies? I'm volunteering with the ladies. On this edition, the subject is women and opioids and how ladies can receive some support and assistance. Should you or someone you know is struggling with opioids, do contact Mile High Behavioral Health Care at 303-825-8113. That's 303-825-8113. We'll continue our conversation on support for women to overcome opioid addiction on our next edition with Lauren Brown, Cindy, and James Gillespie from Mile High Behavioral Health Care. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Well, hope you're having a great Sunday morning. I'm Melissa Moore. It is Mile High Magazine. And coming up here on April 8th, there is a great 5K run. We're going to tell you all about that. But first, I've got to introduce you to my guests. Two incredible people are here. Dr. Chris Marchione, who is the Executive Director of Healthy Learning Paths, and also... Olympian, former Olympian. How do we say that, Frank Shorter? Uh, there are no former Olympian. Every okay, Olympian is an Olympian. <laughs> I was going to say, when you win a gold medal, you're not yep. a former Olympian. No, everyone's an Olympian. I don't. I would wear that medal every day, everywhere. I'd be going to King Supers with the medal on if I were you, Frank. <laughs> no, it took me only two years to get over that. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank, you won the uh, uh, the gold medal uh, for the marathon in 1972. Right. And so when you are lending your name to this race coming up, it's a big deal. Let's talk about the race. What is it? And why did you put your name behind it? Well, when Dr. Marchione came to me, um, well, seven years ago, this is the eighth time, and explained the program, I have a, a, a very big interest in kids' health and exercise. And to my way of thinking, it really was the real deal. It was a curriculum that Schools can choose, teachers can choose it, but many school districts in our area can't afford it. Mm. And so the race, Frank Shorter's Race for Kids Health, is to raise money for those districts who can't afford it so that you're trying to make this, again, available to everyone. And, and so every first Sunday in April now, and it's usually the 8th, 9th, 10th, mm-hmm. we have a race, a 5K race, but there are also shorter races for younger kids. There's a diaper dash inside, and Broomfield gives us the Broomfield Event Center for the day. That is wonderful. So there's also an exhibition with like 200 uh, vendors, if you mm-hmm. want to call them that, in the in the arena itself, and all of the exhibits are aimed at kids and kids health. I love it. And if you're just joining us, we are talking with Olympian Frank Shorter, his Race for Kids Health 5K and his Expo, which benefits healthy learning paths, is coming up here on April 8th and there's still time to register. But I I, I heard an interesting t- statistic. Uh, my producer was telling me and they had talked to you uh, out in the lobby that Colorado ranks really low on mental health and that this race is not just about your physical health, but also about your mental health. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Dr. Dr. Marchione talk about this more, but at first it was diet and exercise, K and even pre-K through middle school, and then about four years ago, I think, uh, again, it's such a legitimate program, it's the real deal, that Dr. Marchione teamed up with the Colorado Mental Health Association, and there's a separate curriculum on kids' emotional and social uh, and mental health. Okay, and, and Dr. Marchione, we'll talk to you here in just a second because I do want to understand this, that there is a physical program and a mental program. So let me just um, explain, first of all, if it's all right, I'd like to address what mental health is for Absolutely. Our, our listeners because I think it's confusing sometimes for people about mental health. So mental health, quite simply, is the health of the brain. The brain is an organ in the body, just like the heart, And it needs certain things to be healthy. We need to feed it with healthy nutrition. We need to exercise it, make sure it's hydrated. And then there's emotions that occur in the brain that we need to teach children how to manage their emotions. And this isn't something that just happens. It's something that has to be intentional. Mm -hmm. And we have to give children the opportunity to practice, to make mistakes, and then to correct their mistakes. 
um, exercise is key for the brain to develop and to learn. So if there's not regular exercise, children will not develop to their potential. We also know from medical research that people that don't have adequate nutrition, regular exercise, regular sleep, are more prone to depression, to anxiety. So these are mental health diagnoses. Um, and what we do is teach families, parents, children, and teachers skills to prevent issues and mental illness. So these things really do go together yeah. hand in hand. Yeah, in, in simple terms, they blend together, but also it's not therapy. It's mm-hmm. education, you know, right. simply put. Again, Chris can speak to the numbers, Colorado... Um, you never want to be the bottom or near the bottom of any list, but what's the mental health rating in Colorado? Well, just a few weeks ago, the 2018 um, status of mental health across America came out, and this is research from the CDC, Centers for um, Control and Prevention. And unfortunately, Colorado ranked near the bottom both in adult and youth mental health. We were about 43 out of all the states um, for both adult and youth mental health. But uh, in our youth mental health, we ranked around 47 and 48. And for substance abuse among youth ages 12 to 17, we actually ranked the highest in the nation. That is such a contradiction to Colorado living, in my opinion. You know, I mean, because we're always ranked as one of the healthiest physical states. So there's obviously a disconnect going on or something's not happening here between the physical health and the mental health. And I know that we talk about nutrition and how it goes hand in hand, but there's obviously some kind of a um, disparity here. Yeah, it's a really good point, Melissa, that you bring up. And let me just say, as a physician, there is no health without mental health. Correct. We, as human beings, and especially as children, we don't come as compartments of just muscles and hearts and brains. We come as whole individual people. And if I'm helping you manage your type 2 diabetes, for example, if I don't have a discussion with you about what else is going on, what are you feeling, how are you sleeping, are you feeling depressed, I can guarantee you I'm not going to be successful about managing your type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think sometimes we tend to do what is easy. It's easy to talk about, you know, maybe having a healthy muscle or having, uh, you know, enough calcium in your bones. But one of the challenges we have in mental health or the health of the brain is we don't fully understand it. We know a lot more than we used to, but we don't fully understand it. The other thing is because of our chronic disease model of care, we don't do a lot of prevention um, in, uh, in the typical doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of chronic disease management. And particularly with children, if we want to prevent these diseases, we need to do prevention. So we need to be teaching them about sleep and diet and exercise and problem solving and understanding their own emotions. Well, thank you for explaining that. If you're joining us, uh, we are talking with, and that was just Dr. Chris Marchione, the Executive Director of Healthy Learning Paths. It's a nonprofit with a mission to spread the power of health for children. And we're also joined today by Olympic gold medalist Frank Shorter, who has lended his name to the big race coming up, Race for Kids Health 5K and the Expo on April 8th. Um, Obviously, as I'm talking to you both, I hear the partnership. It's a natural partnership, a natural fit. Uh, But the reason for the race, you were saying, besides spreading awareness to raise money is to raise money okay so that the school districts who can't afford the programs can get those programs what do those programs look like for the schools that do have them right now dr marchione so thanks for asking that melissa so it's called healthy learning kids and what healthy learning kids is is we take health professionals that are trained and we partner them with teachers in the classroom and with the parents of those students So we send a health professional into the classroom about once a month, and we teach a health lab. It may be a health lab of nutrition. It may be about your emotions. It could be about oral health. And we actually give kids the opportunity to work in teams, to problem solve, and to practice. And then we leave resources for the teachers that support the teachers so Mm -hmm. that they can carry it over in math, science, reading, art, And then we have workshops for parents that focus on child development and best practices 
and health. We also do professional developments for teachers. So we'll be actually this month training about 30 staff members from Adams 12 schools who will then be teaching our lessons in Mm -hmm. the classrooms next year. Okay. And yeah, Frank? the teachers get manuals. They're actual manuals. There's the health and exercise diet, and then there's the mental health manual. So the teachers get the manual, mm-hmm. and they get all sorts of, you know, model workshops that the kids can do and information for the parents that goes home. So pretty much every time the teacher wants to teach this in the classroom, the kids can take some stuff home to show the parents what they learned that day. And um, so simply put, the way when I first got and why I loved it, um, right, eight years ago when it was presented to me, it's think of a kindergartner. Instead of putting them down at a table, giving them finger paint and let them finger paint all over the place, you put them down at a table, you give them fruits and vegetables and plastic utensils, and they cut it up and eat it and find out why it's good for them. Mm -hmm. And then they find out it's actually fun. Then in the race, what we found out is, you know, it's all about movement and People forget kids can experience endorphins too. And so I like the idea of young kids being able to be very active in this kind of situation and find out when they get done, they feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, that it was fun and that it was something that in this sports age in America, it really is non-competitive. It's, it's a group activity. And then you can tell them some kids can emerge from this group, find out they love this motion. But the other thing is the exercise doesn't just have to be running. Mm. It can then transfer over to all their other sports and get more and more kids once they find out they like that feeling when they've exercised and they get done. Right. And, and the other thing I'd like to speak to, and, and the one thing I noticed early on, especially with um, the districts and kids who come to the event that you can tell are coming from places uh, where normally they might not venture out to a, an event like this, there is what I call a filter-up effect. In other words, the youngest kid in the family might get involved in kindergarten, and the older siblings see what's going on. They get interested, and then the parents start looking to see why these kids are so happy doing this, and then the parents get interested. And you hear about that a lot, that the kids and an interest they have or a passion they have kind of sparks the whole family. And that's what it sounds like happens and can happen at this race. Once again, it is the Frank Shorter. It is the is it the eighth or the ninth annual? Ninth. It is the ninth annual. That is incredible. Frank Shorter Race for Kids Health 5K and Expo. It is coming up on April 8th. What makes this race different for families that have done other 5Ks or for people that have run other 5Ks? What makes it unique? There's not only a 5K, the 5K kind of kicks it off and um, it finishes inside the Broomfield Event Center and it finishes inside and then everybody can go to the expos and it's through the expo and while they're there, there are a series of other events and and Chris can sort of list all that's there, but it goes from 5K all the way down to maybe a 25-yard diaper dash. Mm -hmm. And, And so, and... I like to say we have more mascots there than, than anybody. <laughs> uh, favorite, I think, is Cinderella okay. or Snow White. Um, but everybody, you know, Chip, the buff mascot will be there. And, and so the kids really have a good time and they can associate all this with having a good time. Which is great. Dr. Marchione? What this event is about is rallying, rallying Colorado around the mental and physical health of children. And it is a collaboration of Colorado. It's the best of Colorado that comes out and makes it clear that we care about kids. So the other things that make this difference, the expo, is that we have all the universities represented, major hospitals, educational um, partners, uh, robotics, yoga, the planetarium. We even have a free recycling center. Oh, that's great. And the League of Women Voters will be there from Adams County to register people to vote because civic engagement is part of health. So just wanted to give you an an overview. In terms of registration, um, people can register online at Frank Shorter Race, the number four kids.com. So that's F-R-A-N-K-S-H- O-R-T-E-R, race, R-A-C-E, the number four, kids, K-I-D-S, dot com. Or they can go to Mm -hmm. 
O-R-G. Perfect. And the race, once again, is coming up here on April 8th. Can they do same-day registrations or do you need to register ahead of time? We will have same-day registrations and the doors will open to the public on Sunday at 7.30 a.m. We also have early packet pickup where they can register on Saturday at Whole Foods Bradburn in Westminster from 9 a.m. until 11.30 a.m. Great. And what is the cost for that? Uh, For adults, it is $40. For children 14 and under, it is $20 for the 5K. Uh, On race day, those prices will increase $5. All right. Thank you both so much for being here. Dr. Chris Marchione, the Executive Director of Healthy Learning Pass, a nonprofit with a mission to spread the power of health for children, and Olympian gold medalist, amazing athlete, Frank Shorter, 1972 winner, by the way, of the gold medal for the marathon. Thank you for being here, for lending your name. It is the ninth annual Frank Shorter Race for Kids Health 5K and Expo coming up on April 8th. And once again, all the information you need to register to get involved is up on the websites. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you for having us. Thank you for being here. I'm Melissa Moore. It's Mile High Magazine. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with me. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.